Hello and welcome to A Sporting Discussion, your podcast that discusses sports of all sorts. I am Andrew Donison, and I'm joined by a man who is crying tears of green sadness from one eye <laughs> and tears of blue and white happiness from the other, AJ Mithen. Hello, oh, AJ. I'm conflicted, conflicted. Jeez, the Raiders played well. In this week's show, we will look at some boxing with Lucas Brown's imminent return to the ring following his controversial suspension and Gennady Golovkin's victory over Kel Brook to defend his middleweight title. A little bit of cricket with the performance of Australia A and the National Performance Squad in their one-day series in Townsville and Mackay. Also, some English cricketers making the decision not to tour Bangladesh. And we will also speak with our netball expert, Erin Dallahunty, on the news announced today regarding increases in netball player payments for the upcoming Australian domestic season. As we always say, a discussion is two ways. Us here at ASD Stadium and you, the listeners. So get in contact with us via Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or facebook.com slash a sporting discussion so we can make sure we are talking about issues that are of interest to you. AJ, unfortunately, confirmations and corrections this week is poor tipping. It's all about us. What a horror show that was last week. What were your predictions for the AFL and NRL and how how many did you get right? What were they? Rubbish is what they were. They blew up basically instantly on the Friday night. Oh, the Thursday night, sorry. Actually, as we were recording the podcast, the <laughs> AFL preview, the Western Bulldogs were flocking the West Coast Eagles. Yeah, that didn't go well. So we both picked oh, the boy. West Coast Eagles, myself by 64 points, AJ by 67. So we were only 110-odd points out on that one. Well, yeah, I think overall you ended up with four out of eight, three right in the AFL and one right in the NRL. Mm-hmm. And I was two, three out of eight myself. That's rubbish. Two out of four in the AFL and one out of four in the NRL. It's what a horror show. Bad. Very bad. Bad, bad, bad. And I, one of my tips was 114 points wrong. Yep. Yeah. At least you got the you got the Broncos beating the Titans right. You said you couldn't understand why people were getting so enamoured with the Titans. Mm. Well, the Titans played really well and they did get hosed by the refs to a degree. But they lost by, you know, almost 20 points. But anyway, let's let's... Let's try to redeem ourselves and turn our turn our tips to this week very very quickly. All right, we've got what have we got? Hawthorne and the Bulldogs on Friday night, followed by Sydney and Adelaide on Saturday. Who you got? I'm going for both of the losing qualifying finalists to get their revenge or seek retribution or just win. So I've got Hawthorne and Sydney. Any margins? You game to oh, go margins? Uh, Hawthorne by twenty eight points. And, oh, can I change? No, I won't. No. Ooh. I'll just, yeah, geez, I love Adelaide. No, Hawthorne <laughs> by 28 and Sydney by 23. Very well. I will go Bulldogs by 10 and Adelaide by 32. Woo. Now, in the NRL, we have the Broncos heading north to face North Queensland up in Townsville, uh, followed by on Saturday night, it is my and your and everyone's Canberra Raiders taking on the really, really good Penrith Panthers. Who you got? Well, with the announcement of the referees for this week's match, I have changed my tip from this morning from the Broncos to North Queensland Cowboys. (laughs) That's right. A couple of refs have been dropped for the first time this season. Mm, And I'll also be going for your Canberra Raiders, AJ. So will I. I'm going to say 
Yeah, Cowboys. I love the Cowboys and the Raiders. I hope the Raiders win. I really like Penrith though, but the Raiders are going to win. Actually, sorry, margins. I'm going to go North Queensland by 12 and Canberra by 4. I will say 22 and 12. We move on to the topical recap, proudly brought to you by Ultimate AFL Trivia. Search for them on Facebook to get daily AFL-related trivia questions. They also run trivia nights. There is a night tonight, right now, in Adelaide and in Melbourne on Thursday, the 15th of September, where AJ and I will be very special guests, where people who are there are able to phone a friend, and that will be us at the front of the room. I feel like a former Big Brother contestant, Andrew. (laughs) <laughs> like hot dogs <laughs> Like hot dogs <laughs> AJ and Andrew's Or, or, uh, or chicken Oh chicken Chicken He was in the that was TV in the Hammerheads show, as Hammerheads well. yes. yes Anyway We did two polls this week Highlights and lowlights of the weekend Just gone in the AFL and the NRL I will go through our poll for the highlights We asked what was the best moment for the weekends And the GWS Giants winning was our winner in this with 46%. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. That's a big percentage. It is. Geelong defeating Hawthorne was 31%. Yeah. The Penrith Panthers was 23%. Yeah. That was a great – I love Penrith. Did and I we say have, that before? You have. Yeah. And we, we had a tweet from Matt at, uh, at underscore Mr. We Fly as one underscore, just with two words, Eddie Betts. Eddie Betts. And I think that's in the man, fair The man enough. played well. That's true. So GWS Giants beating their hometown rivals, Sydney Swans, in their first ever final to make their first ever preliminary final was our highlight of the week. Not AJ. our highlight, Andrew. It oh, was no, no. your highlight of was, the week, everyone. Yes. And yes. what was the low light? Yes. With the good comes the bad. Uh, we had a resounding 50% going to the low light of finals week one. The Titans versus Broncos referees. Mm, it was stinky. Fair enough, too. Very, very bad. And people have lost their jobs temporarily for a week because of it. Uh, coming in second was West Coast's poor effort against the Bulldogs on Thursday. Poor? It was putrid. Yeah. It was... I can't think of a word, but it was, whatever it was, that was it. Um, and they, yeah, they threw our tipping out, so I blame them for that, too. <laughs> uh, coming in third... Oh, dear. Whitehead's brain fade. Do you want to quickly... Oh, no, he no. gave away... The, this is a Canberra Raiders player. Yep. In a crucial part of the Elliot Whitehead. game. Elliot Whitehead, uh, after Ben Barber had made a small break and was about 20 metres out, Edric Lee tackled him. What and was then the score at the time? It was level. Yep. And there were three and a half minutes to go. Yep. And Elliot Whitehead decided, this is the perfect time of the game to flop late onto Ben Barber and collect him high while I do it. A late high shot directly in front of directly the uprights. Directly in front of the uprights in a game where points were... Oh, we better stop. We yep. better, yeah. Anyway, and we did have one... Uh, wow. One tweet reply about their low, their low light for the week from Grievous Bodily Charm. Love it. <laughs> that's that's got to be the best Twitter handle for a long time. It's very good. Uh, he said the... Or he or she, whoever they are, um, said that their low light for week one was the... 
result of North Melbourne, the effort they put in. Yeah, that Hard was... to argue, but yep. it was, wasn't really a surprise. No, it wasn't. AJ, I have to ask. Yes. Have you got something for me? I certainly do, Andrew. Now, listeners who listened to... <laughs> listeners who listened... Folks who listened to our AFL finals preview will have heard Andrew and I put together a, a friendly bet uh, for the winner of the Geelong Hawthorne game. Uh one of uh, the winning side's supporter could write 300 words that the other supporter had to read out uh, as part of the podcast. Now, my cats uh, beat Andrew's Hawks, and uh, I will now hand over to you, Andrew Donison, reading 300 words in praise of the Geelong Football Club. This is the first time that I'm seeing these give it, words give it as the well. Correct, give it the correct emotion and pizzazz, please. Oh, yeah, I will. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. I was privileged enough last Friday to witness one of the best finals wins I have ever seen. In the face of extreme adversity, the mighty Geelong Football Club were able to beat one of the best football sides in history. Watching Isaac Smith's kick after the siren sail wide of the post, my first thought was not to curse my luck or feel sad for a loss. The first thing to hit me was just how lucky I've been to be able to watch Geelong throughout my life. Their approach to football has long been a source of joy in not just my life, but the lives of literally millions of people. I've always had an appreciation for the way Geelong go about their football. The joie de vivre, whenever joie de vivre, whenever they are on the field, is the true way to play the game. Not like my own Hawks, who want to play keepings off with short kicking because they don't have enough talent or respect for the game to tackle a true head-to-head contest. And don't get me started on the Ross Lyons School of Anti-Football. We are all truly blessed to bear witness to the careers of legends of the sport like Corey Enright, Jimmy Bartell, and especially Joel Selwood, whose courage and ability to win the hardball cannot ever be doubted. The future stars of Lincoln McCarthy, the fantastic Dan Menzel, and blossoming youngsters like Nakia Cockatoo fill me with a thrill, the thrill that Geelong aren't going anywhere and they will still play the game as it should be played. With coach Chris Scott leading the way with a mix of passion and tactical nous rarely seen in Australian rules football, Geelong are now and will be forever the greatest team of all. AJ, there has been some big news in boxing the last week Lucas Big Daddy Brown your favorite and our favorite has was banned following his fight against Rush Ruslan Chagayev in Chechnya mm-hmm. where he had become Australia's first world heavyweight boxing champion and we spoke about how clenbuterol was found in both his A and B samples and so he was stripped of his title and then suspended for 6 months at the time Big Daddy claimed that he did not knowingly ingest clenbuterol and questioned why a heavyweight fighter would use a weight reduction drug, which is entirely fair enough. <laughs> yeah, logic. He maintained that it must have been something that he ate, having earlier said that uh, a test that was organised by his own camp six days before the fight came back clean. Yeah, he had gone into an agreement with the testing agency that he would have his own a test done before the fight and then afterwards, and the official stuff showed the Glenn Uh Now... 
he said, I'll just read the quote here. Uh, following a clean test, I ate only at the hotel in which we were hosted and at the meal following the boxes media weigh-in. The water I drank on the night of the fight was sealed bottled water. And even so, the WBA, the World Boxing Association, said there is no way to determine if that is, if that is true or not. And the association repeatedly said that the boxer and his team are responsible for what enters his system, as we all agree all drug uh, testing or agencies should take that approach. However, AJ, it's not as simple as that, is it? Never is, is it? Because Lucas Brown took the WBA to court uh, and the content, they've come to an agreement. Uh, Lucas Brown's suspension was due to finish this week anyway, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've come to an agreement. Now, I'm going to read some more dot points here So because there's a few, so bear with me. The contents of the agreement are confidential, but they res- well, they're confidential, but here are the results. <laughs> <laughs> He's reintroduced at the end of his six-month ban and coming straight back into the world top five. That's good. That's good. He's directed to face Frez Okendo or the leading available contender in the division if Okendo is not available for his vacant heavyweight title. Oh. That's good. Now, this it's an interesting one, this one, because Brown was going to fight Frez Okendo anyway um, as a way to get through to the big fight against um, Tyson Fury, mm. the unification bout against Tyson Fury. Okay. Um, but we will see uh, if Frez is ready or not. Uh, and now, this is the really interesting bit. This was all agreed to because of the ex- exceptional circumstances, which included Brown's unscheduled negative test five days before the bout. That was the one that he organised himself? Yep. yep. And these are words from the WBA here, making it unlikely that Brown intentionally or voluntarily ingested clenbuterol in a single small dose in the days leading up to the bout, as the amount would not have provided any advantage, especially in the heavyweight division. Wow. Okay, that's... that's- uh, That's some common statement. common sense being applied because Brown was right. You don't take clenbuterol when you're a heavyweight to lose weight. People use it to you know shred a bit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, from my extensive knowledge of clenbuterol, uh, <laughs> I understand it needs to be taken for an elongated period of time, and then you need to taper off it to have any for it to, to have, have for it to have any effect on you. Yeah. Right. So taking it in the days before the fight will do nothing except give you a positive drug test. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, now, another interesting one. The last bout in Grozny, which was Frez Okendo and Ruslan Chagayev, also resulted in allegations of poisoning because Frez Okendo tested positive as well. Ah. And that coincided with the wider suspension of the Russian laboratory and Rusada, Russia's equivalent of Asada, uh, for failing to follow proper procedures and protocols. Right, so... So the plot thickens a little. Yeah, and he, Big Daddy, he, he took his suspension as, as he had to. He yep. said, I Cop, don't... Copped it on the chin, as you say. Yeah, yes. I don't agree with it because of these circumstances. And he didn't make a big song and dance. They just decided to, to fight it. And so behind the scenes, they went to the WBA and said, we're going to put a legal challenge in place. That legal challenge has now resulted in him being able to come back into the top five in the world. Yep. And you couldn't ask for, apart from the the drug test still standing and the suspension happening, so yep. Mark Lucas Brown has had a six-month handbrake on his career. Mm. It, it, it's the best possible result. Basically, they've said, yes, you did a, you've tested positive, you've done, your, you've done your time, but we understand how this may have occurred. And you'll remember when we spoke about this many, many, many weeks ago before we had decent microphones, so, <laughs> so don't go looking for it, people. Um, 
uh, Tyson Fury, when he was fighting uh, Vladimir Klitschko, refused to take water on during the fight because he was afraid that it would be tainted and they, he brought all his own food over and had his own private chef and all that sort of thing because of for this exact situation. So it's a known potential issue. It's a known potential issue, yes. I, one thing that I really liked was Lucas Brown's comments after the, the decision and it, and it showed what we've, what we've been talking about. He, you know, he, he understood, he accepted the decision, but he said... It was still a positive test, and I can't argue with that. It is my responsibility what goes into my mouth, and I understand their rules. I just wished it hadn't happened in the first place. To be perfectly honest, I'm slightly pissed off. I really want to do some damage to the next person and sort of come out and show everyone that I am the world champion, and it's going to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I love the yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now, before Brown was suspended, there was a lot of mouthing off by Aussie heavyweights, including Solomon Hamono, uh, all wanting a piece of him and uh, you know hang, trying to hang on, basically. But yep. I think we can forget about all of that, particularly after Solomon Hamono got his clock cleaned by Joseph Parker uh, over in New Zealand. Joseph Parker is one of the big up-and-coming uh, heavyweight fighters out of New Zealand. He's he's a phenomenon, but we'll get to him in another episode. And this next uh, couple of years is huge for Lucas Brown, isn't it? Now that he has the, I guess, the profile and he could possibly win the, the title again, it gives him an opportunity to really cash in on some big fights, doesn't it? Absolutely. David Hay from the UK has come out of retirement. He wants to, or out of retirement, but he's back fighting. Yep. Uh, Tyson Fury we've spoken about, the Klitschkos, Deontay Wilder. Um, there's, a, there's many, many millions of dollars out there that Lucas, Lucas Brown can go and get. And uh, he has said just talking about the names I've just mentioned, I'd like to fight all, fight all of them, 100%. I'm 37 and I don't want to be in my 40s and still desperate for a payday. I want to make some money, make some history and then get out. I hope I can make some real money and retire from boxing a happy man and you'd be a fool to bet against him at this stage. Damn right. AJ, your, one of your favourites, well, Triple G. A, Triple G, Gennady Golovka, the best fighter in the world, which pound will kick pound. it pound for pound, which will... Yeah, in boxing circles, that's a highly controversial statement, but I'm, I'm going with it. He defended his middleweight title in slightly controversial circumstances when he uh, TKO'd Kel Brook in the fifth round. That's right. It was quite a, an even fight right up until the moment where Kel Brook's corner just threw in the towel. Well, it looked even. Yeah. Kel Brook was able to land some punches on Triple G. Triple G was doing what he does, landing punches on Kel Brook. And you figured out rather quickly that Triple G's punches hurt a lot more than Kel Brooks did because he's tower, he's uh, team through the towel and he has now multiple face fractures and uh, that's that. And yeah, Brook was saying that you know he he didn't he was surprised at the lack of power in Triple G's uh, punches, but well he would say that. Clear, yeah, I know. <laughs> but clearly one of those punches got him flush on the eye early in the the fight. And as uh, as we know, he he's got a suspected broken eye socket, mm. and I think he he said that he was seeing four or five uh, triple G's. So yeah. the, the the corner was probably right to throw in the towel, but there was a lot of like conjecture on, particularly on social media, saying. Why have they done this? It, it looked like it was a you know a fight that was going to continue. Yeah, a lot of uh, that's that's a grievous misunderstanding of 
the fight game, the people who were complaining that the fight finished early. And some of the uh, legends of the sport have come out and said the trainer did exactly what a boxer should have his trainer do, mm. and that's look after his interest in the first place. Because if you go out there for, what, a f- for five, seven more rounds against the best fighter in the world... With, who's, with who's, a busted eye ...who has already broken your face, yeah. it's not going to go well for you. No, that moves Golovkin up to 36-0... and 0. And his next fight is one that we are very much looking forward to. Andrew, there's been a lot of talk about the pay rates for elite women's sport in Australia lately. Yes. Yes, uh, particularly with the AFL coming out with their nothing short of disgraceful pay and insurance effort for their athletes. Let, let, let's not talk about that again. No, we're trying to avoid that. Uh, today, 14th of September, Netball Australia announced, finally announced their new collect, the details of their new collective agreement for the new National Netball League. And just as a quick point, the minimum salary has more than doubled from last year's ANZ championship rate uh, to just under 30 grand now. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, but... We need someone who's a subject matter expert here because we're going to talk netball. And so we got in touch with friend of the show, freelance journalist who was published in The Guardian uh, this week on this very issue, Erin Delahunty, uh, who joined us again to talk about uh, the importance of this deal for netball in Australia and women's sport in Australia. Erin Delahunty, welcome back to a sporting discussion. Well, thank you very much for having me, guys. Thanks for having me back. It's a landmark day. It is a huge day, yes. Um, we've heard that word landmark a couple of times in the last few months in netball, but it is hugely significant, pretty easy to say, the, the, the most important day for, for my, my beloved sport yeah, ever in Australia, certainly. And it's been a long time coming, this, uh, the resolution mm-hmm. of the collective agreement. It's dragged on a little bit more than, than everyone thought, but the outcome's been great. Do you want to give us a bit of a, a headline as to, as to what it all means? Absolutely. So, yeah, the, the Netball Australia announced today that there will be a cap for each of the new clubs. So the eight clubs in the new National League will have $675,000 to spend on their 10 contracted players. So doing a little bit of quick math, we're looking at the average Australian, elite Australian netballer earning $67,000, 67500 That's great. So, yeah, not bad. And, and what's that like compared to last year? It's, it's a, a significant increase, isn't it? It is. Look, it's in a different stratosphere. Last year, there was uh, $270,000 was the cap for each club. And they probably had up to 12 players within uh, that salary cap previously. But then if you think about it historically, 10 years ago, so not that long ago when you, you, you guys and me were probably still at high school, players were getting $1,000 a season. Wow. Liz Liz Ellis tweeted about it today and, you know, people saying, oh, is it a good thing? Is it not a good thing? And she said, well, I'll tell you what, if someone who plays for $1,000, it's looking pretty good. (laughs) Um, Now, you have written an article in The Guardian Online today uh, hailing the new deal and uh, what it means for women's, uh, well, women's sport in general. Um, mm. Having a, a reason as a reasonable uh, whack at the other sports who aren't paying their athletes as much yeah. as they should be. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, netball has always held a bit of a hallowed place. It's always been the number one participation sport, and netball has been, I hate this word, but has been a strong product for many years. But the last 12 to 18 months has seen a lot of other sports, women's big bash, and then obviously the AFL Women's League is the most obvious example of big codes going out there and saying, do you know what? We want the best female athletes in our code. We want these players playing for us and we're willing to pay them. Uh, and when you think about the controversy around the AFL in particular, um, and AFL House has been out there spruiking this product about how elite it's going to be. And the first press release they put out about the league was, we're going to come and poach the best the best athletes, you know, and we obviously as netball fans want the best athletes in netball. So I sort of took today as a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a throwdown to those, to those other sports. But netball is here and no more Mrs. Nice Guy. We're going to, we're a serious, serious contender, not only in terms of the numbers with the players and the broadcast deal and people have always loved to watch netball, but now this is that next, that next big step to make it financially, financially elite if that's not too much of a buzzword, yeah. Well, it's not just the pay that's on offer um, from the netball uh, agreement. We've we've just touched on the AFL one in previous episodes because we're a bit loath to dig into something that's not really, you know, we've got no real place discussing it. But Mm -hmm. one thing that did stand out absolutely in the AFL offer was the insurance or lack thereof. And uh, this deal that Netball Australia have uh, agreed with with the players today just blows that out of the water. Yeah, look, the parental care policy for players with young children to, you know, ensure people can, uh, women can have their kids with them at particular times, the fact that hours are blocked out, you know, 10 till 4 so that athletes can do work or have family commitments or study. And then, yeah, the private health insurance is just a big kick for Netball Australia to have that in there. And then there's also an income protection portion in there for two years, 100% of their earnings for two years in the event of a serious injury or pregnancy. And you can't help wonder if maybe Laura Geitz is thinking, oh, geez, I just missed out <laughs> from, you know, <laughs> by a couple of months on, on a deal. But that, that is hugely significant because it is, netball is a, is a predominantly female sport and it is women and it is women of a particular age that, that play the sport. And it has put a huge gap and a huge, um, you know, emphasis and pressure on a lot of players in terms of their bodies and what they want to do and having children, all those sorts of things. So it's another, yeah, it's another big tick for sure. And touching on that, obviously the the extra things outside of the the salary, Mm. the Deputy Chief Mm. Executive of Netball Australia, I will get the pronunciation wrong, Man Feshner. Um, very good. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's a first. <laughs> I know. Practicing. Uh, <laughs> said, we wanted to set the benchmark for women's sport and we absolutely mm. believe that we have achieved this with this new collective playing agreement. And that's absolutely right. They mm. they do need to, to continue to be the number one sport in supporting their, the participants merely because, as we've said, there's other sports mm. coming, for, coming for the, mm. uh, the top-level athletes. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there is a special place for netball, you know, in the Parthenon of of Australian sport and and for women. And I think it's okay that they've taken a different approach to it. They haven't just said, oh, we're like every other sport. We're going to provide what every other sport provides. It's like, no, this is a a big issue in the sport. So let's deal with it. And they have, they've they've set the uh, the benchmark very high for the rest of the sport to try and chase. Absolutely. Now, Erin, the... 
the agreement, let's not pussyfoot around it, is Channel 9's mm. money, mainly. Oh, yeah, mainly. for sure. For uh, sure. Do you, do you think now that next year when the two-point shot comes in, there'll be a little, li- a little bit less uh, argument? We've talked about this before. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> Netball Australia have, have already knocked that one on the head. A couple of weeks ago, they announced that there will be no two-point shot in next year's inaugural league. So that was great news for Netball fans and for myself personally. <laughs> um, but they didn't they there was certainly noises and intimations there that it's not dead and buried, as a politician would say, and it might be something that is revisited into the future. They did also announce that there uh, will be coach initiated timeouts. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm hundred percent but I'm pretty it's one each half it will be allowed, which mm. the, the response from the netball community on that has been quite positive because really previously the injury times that were removed this year, those previous injury times acted as a short time out anyway. So for the coach to be able to call them is a pretty logical step for most people. And with the, you know, talking about the, the upcoming season, Netball Australia yep. have confirmed that, you know, the finalisation of the agreement means that clubs mm-hmm. are able to commence contracting mm. players. So that will open... <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, because that hasn't been happening behind <laughs> yeah, the scenes, guys. Not at all. I, I, love, I love the official word that the contracting <laughs> yeah. period will open on Monday yeah, 19th. The window September. is open. Yeah. When, a, when, a, when a flood of signed contracts head to head office, yeah. <laughs> and, and they also... They, 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 closes on Friday the 30th. So they're expecting everyone to believe that in those 11 Mm. days, that's when the Mm. the negotiations Mm. will start and finish. So we're expecting a flood early next week, aren't we? Oh, look, Monday morning, I'm just going to turn my email off because it's just (laughs) going to be ding, 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 ding. But that's that's an unfortunate reality of the delay in getting the, the collective bargaining agreement of the CBA signed. That is probably six to eight weeks behind where... It needed to be. I wrote a piece recently, only earlier this week, interestingly enough, saying that Netball Australia was really testing fans' patience. And there was a real information vacuum there because we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what the salary cap was. We didn't know what the health insurance was going to be like. We still don't have a draw. We still don't have an official name for the for the um, competition either. Mm. So there is a huge there is a huge amount of information that has come out. But these conversations have, and the clubs have known this salary cap for a significant amount of time. So the clubs weren't, that wasn't news to the club CEOs today, that uh, 675k figure. So those conversations absolutely have been going on. And it's almost, there's a, you know, a little list that sits stuck on my desk of the ones that you can take to the bank that are locked in, that have been widely rumoured. And we've all been playing this lovely pantomime where the clubs can't comment, the players can't comment, and the player managers don't return phone calls <laughs> because they weren't, they're not allowed to sign. So it was a difficult, it was a difficult situation. But we are, yeah, everyone is expecting a flood. And then there's another, there's another conversation that happens then, which is, do the existing franchises get gutted? Because that's mm. a big concern with a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of fans and all people. The the last time that we spoke, Erin, we talked about the New Zealand players possibly, you know, being held back by the New Zealand Netball Association and if anyone played in the Australian Association or the Australian League, they wouldn't be able to represent their country. Has there been mm. any softening of that stance? No, no, absolutely not. And it's interesting because I think without being uh, 
disparaging to the Kiwis, there's only a handful of players that would even get a game in Australia, if, to be perfectly honest about it. My favourite darling, Maria Tutaya and Laura Langman, are probably the, the top two. Um, Tutaya was very strongly rumoured to be going to the Swiss. Like, there was a lot of mail on, on her, but she has signed with the Northern Mystics in the New, New Zealand Elite League, so that's, okay. um, that's dead and, you know, that's been done. Laura Langman... Is look the New Zealand press uh, are saying that she is coming to the Sunshine Coast. So Nolene Tarula, who coached her previously in the New Zealand comp, um, potentially has lured her to Australia. But it will mean that Langman, so who's a vice captain of the Silver Ferns, mm. won't won't be eligible to play for the Ferns next year, which. It's hugely significant. I think I said to you guys uh, she played 135 consecutive tests for her country yeah. since she debuted in 2005. So there, there's a, there is a bit of a school of thought, though, that she may just sign for one year and then go back to a Kiwi franchise in 2018, which would then make her eligible again for the Commonwealth Games. Which is the ah, pinnacle, yeah. which is the pinnacle event for netball, which is in Australia. Interestingly, on the Sunshine Coast, how ironic that would be for her <laughs> if she was playing on the sunny coast. But that's yeah, that's, she's probably the only. Uh, well, she is, as far as I'm aware, the only uh, Kiwi one um, that that is affected by all of this. But that's still not. All of these discussions are are all hypothetical. Yeah. All right. All right, Aaron. We nothing's might... happened. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we <laughs> might leave it there. Isn't going to the Sunshine Coast. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> allegedly, allegedly going to the. Yeah, Sunshine and Maddie Robinson's not going to Collingwood. No, 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 no. Definitely tune, not. No, tune no. Back we'll... in next next Monday. That's right. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Expect lots of news on that. <laughs> All right, Aaron. Thanks very much. We'll leave it there. There's no doubt we will get you back the next time the Diamonds are going around or the Netball League is about to kick off again. If it yeah, has a sponsor I... or something like that. <laughs> The Constellation Cup coming up in October um, should be really, really interesting. It'll be interesting to see if Maria Tupayer can get back into the Silver Fern team after being rested for the recent quad series. And then a, a young player um, absolutely standing up and having a, a huge game. So it's Constellation Cup will be fantastic. This, this game game's here in Melbourne and Launceston, first game in Launceston for many years. Oh. So that'll be great. All right. Cool. All right. Mm. Thanks again. Okay. Awesome. No, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate your time. Cheers. Andrew, on a sporting discussion over the episodes, over the weeks, over the months now, because we're stretching into it, Mm. uh, we have lamented the lack of depth in Australian cricket, particularly at the younger end of the scale. Indeed we have. Uh, now, there's been a couple of tournaments going around uh, featuring development sides and Australia A. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to let us know if there's anything coming to – is there a brighter future than we think? Well, there's been uh, the four-day competition between South Africa A and Australia A and then India A and Australia A. There's still one more match with that to go, so we'll talk about that in a, a further episode – but there was a quadrangular one-day series between Ooh. Australia A, India A, South Africa A and the National Performance Squad, which is uh, an Australian youth squad, basically. Oh, all right. Can yeah. I ask a quick uh, – just a quick thing? Yes. Can we just drop the A's for this segment and just 
Same oh, gotcha. Yeah, all yes. right. Good, thank you. <laughs> each team played each other twice, and then there was a, a third-place playoff and a final on the weekend just gone. And India were victorious over Australia in the final, and South Africa were victorious over the National Performance Squad in the third-place playoff. Now, do the results of the National Performance Squad give any glimmer of hope in the future, or was it like the horrible, uh, what was the team in the in the Ryobi Cup, was it? The uh, Australia, Australia, Cricket Australia 11, who were absolutely... They weren't defenestrated every game. They weren't that bad. The National Performance Squad actually beat Australia in the first game that they played. They they beat South Africa and Australia, oh. but then they didn't win a, another game from then on. There were a few notable performances. Sam Hislett made 289 runs at an average of 72. He scored a century, so that's good. Nice. Hilton Cartwright, who I believe is oh, a Zimbabwean, yeah, Zimbabwean born. Hilton Cartwright. We want we want him on the show. Yeah. We'll we'll reach deep into our contacts at Cricket Australia. He, he he scored 81 in one of his matches, 199 runs at 39. Sam Harper, who played a, a couple of Victorian domestic games last year, 174 runs at 34, high score of 72. So nothing consistent other than Sam Hislett. The others had one good score and then some other not so oh, good okay. scores. Yeah. Any any bowlers? Uh, not not, not really. really? Tom, oh. Tom, oh, o- good. <laughs> Tom O'Donnell was the leading wicket taker for the National Performance Squad with six wickets across three matches. Oh. And Arjun Nair, who is the mystery spinner from New South Wales, mm-hmm. only took two wickets but only went at 3.7 runs per over. Mm. So a little bit to work with there. David Grant is the other one who had five wickets at 40. So... You ask if there was anything coming through. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe some batting. Maybe they just need they they need to work on their consistency. Yeah. And you know what? That's why they're in the the national performance squad rather than the Australia A yeah. squad. Well, what what about the A squad? Because there's a few players there who uh, have either had a taste. I think Joe Burns was there, wasn't he? Yes, he yeah. he's been playing. He's uh, he was. I'm not sure what mm. his performance is in the one day. Is but Cameron Bancroft he made uh, he got an average of fifty four which sounds good mm. but that's only one hundred and eight runs across four innings with a high mm. score of and that's, and that's in the one days in the one days Nick Maddinson is the the big one he only played the last two games and he scored one hundred and eighteen in one of those and thirty one in the other Chris Lynn nice. made a half century good. Curtis Patterson made a century. Again, is there is there any bowling? We seem to have batting batting we never really struggle with unless unless the ball's moving. But unless the ball's moving, yeah. Is there, are, there, are there any bowlers coming up in the A team? Well, Joe Many he gets talked about a lot in terms of uh, coming out. Now up he to the he was sports. our he was our leading wicket taker in the Shield, wasn't he? Yes, yes. he was. He unfortunately South Australian. Him, yep. Yes, yep. In the three matches he played, just the three wickets, but at an average of twenty six and less than four runs per over. The second highest wicket-taker for the Shield was Dan Worrell, and he took seven wickets at less than 30, but he went for almost five and over. Mm. Victorian Chris Tremaine 
took 13 wickets. He was the leading wicket taker at an average of 15.3. Wow, that's not bad. And 4.42 runs per over. So not there we go. There's Chris one. Chris Tremaine. There's yeah. one. Yeah. All right, keep an eye on him. Nick Do you Matt- know what? When I first heard that name when uh, I was watching Shield Cricket with Victoria playing, mm. I thought it was Chris Tremlett. From England, <laughs> and that they'd brought him across. Uh, different, yeah, slightly, slightly different. different. Yeah. So not not a lot of consistently good performances, but a few there. Nick Maddinson is a, a quality cricketer, and Bancroft and, and and Lynn and Curtis Patterson as well. He he's an excellent cricketer, but. There, when we talk about the four-day games in a couple of weeks' time, there's some better performances there. Lovely. All right. Now, Andrew, uh, we've just had England one-day captain Owen Morgan <laughs> and the opening batsman in all three forms of cricket for England, Alex Hales, choosing not to travel to Bangladesh mm. for England's latest tour. You Give us a, give us some rundown on that. Also, everyone well, may not be aware, actually, that Australia were meant to be touring Bangladesh earlier this year. They cancelled that on security grounds. Yep. And the England cricket team are touring Bangladesh shortly. And assurances have been presented to the English cricket team by their security expert, Reg Dickerson, uh, and he said, no, everything's okay. The English selection panel, the English cricket board, said to their players, it's up to you if you mm-hmm. would like to come Were on this tour. Fully understand and support sort of deal, was it? A- absolutely, that's what it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> initially. Oh, I just thought that's what I'd tell them. <laughs> and, and then Owen Morgan and Alex Hales said, you know what? We're not comfortable doing this. Well, that's all right. They'd have the full support and protection of the board, I imagine. Well, they did until they made the decision. Oh. And then Andrew (laughs) Strauss, who is uh, the big wig in uh, English cricket at the moment, he he said on the eve of the decision, we're not trying to coerce people into touring and that an understanding would follow whatever call was made. And what sort of understanding did Owen Morgan and Alex Hales get? Well, Andrew Strauss after that said... He was disappointed. Whilst we understand and respect Owen and Alex's decision, we are disappointed they have made themselves unavailable for selection. We've had open and honest conversations with all the players about the security arrangements and we are not expecting any other individuals to withdraw. Final selection will take place on Friday. (laughs) Wow. Okay. We are not expecting anyone else. We fully support your decision as long as you decide what we want you to decide. Yeah, that was the undertone of of what Andrew Now, Andrew, let me me switch the the volume to hysteria here. Is this a massive wedge in the English cricket team that is going to destroy them in the years to come? I'm going to say no. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Owen Morgan, it, it's it's going to make Owen Morgan even more of an enemy to the English fans because he's as Irish anyway. He's Irish and he doesn't <laughs> sing the national anthem. They're, well, I wouldn't either. If no, I, anyway, <laughs> but, but when they when they have the national anthem before a game, all the English players line up and everyone sings, and Owen stands there stony faced, and that's uh, actually been a big issue. Some for people English fans. show show respect in different ways, and so I think. Those issues, it's just going to build on that and the English fans are not going to like it. It's really going to be fascinating to see how those two come back from this because you're not playing, people are going to take your place. If those other people perform, Andrew Strauss may very well say, thanks very much, on your way. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when Australia cancelled the tour, mm. the reaction here was, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yep. You know, we'd, we'd rather you didn't go over there and put yourself in any... And there were repeated assurances from Cricket Australia security uh, detail and the government and that that there was, you know, 
risk of risk of incident was minimal, mm. but it was still there. But risk was there, and the incidents that do that. There were some uh, incidents that happened just before the, our team was about to leave as well, I think. Yes, yeah. There, there's been a few uh, flashpoints. But it's it's really interesting to compare and contrast the reaction over across the pond and here because I would have expected it to be flipped the complete other way. <laughs> you think that the Australians would get up and I would oh, get over there? Yeah, get over a bunch of sooks, you know, that sort yep. of thing. But, uh, yeah, it's... I've, I think Australia's handled this much better than the English have. They have. And Ben Stokes, the teammate of Morgan and Hales, he actually posted a statement on Twitter in which he said he respected the decisions of his teammates. He said, I will always back not just my captain, but also any fellow teammates' decision on matters like this. They have both obviously thought long and hard about this important decision and have both made the call that is right for them as individuals. Please try and respect their choice. I do as a colleague and as a friend to both of them. Well said. Andrew, a couple of weeks ago now, uh, before we did our finals specials, Mm. which kind of knocked us off axis just a little bit, we were discussing the big question, how is Australia seen as a sporting nation? Yes, are we sooks or, or do we punch above our weight? Are we... Battlers who punch above our weight or are we massive sooks who throw toys out of the cot when something doesn't go our way? (laughs) Uh, Now, we wanted to have a bit more time to discuss that and we will be delving into that next week. So what we need from you, dear listener, is your opinion on this. How do you think Australia is seen as a sporting nation? And more importantly, how do you see Australia as a sporting nation? We'll be all over the Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. So we really value your feedback on this because it's going to be quite an interesting chat. And that is it for episode 29? 29. 29 of a sporting discussion. Uh, thank you very much to our Nepal expert freelance journalist, Aaron Delahunty, uh, for coming on and talking to us tonight. Uh, we just wanted to say a quick note of thanks and good luck to Aaron and the mighty Eagles of Ichika United as they go into, I think it was six out of eight grand finals this Saturday. That's right. Six out of eight grand finals up at Moama on Saturday afternoon. So get along if you can. Yep. And if you see Aaron, just walk past and say to her, we love it at United. We love it at United. Anyway, moving on, if you have an issue or something you'd like us to talk about next week, we want to focus on how is Australia seen as a sporting nation, but we're open to anything. Hit us up on Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or go facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. We do reply. Tweets or comments are signed off with AJ for me or AD for him. Uh, Content, uh, what's it called? Character limits apply for Twitter though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tell your friends to subscribe to a sporting discussion on whatever podcast service they use. We're everywhere, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Player.fm, but our preference is that you use Wooshka. Uh, Download the Wooshka app to listen to your podcast or go to wooshka.com like I am going to tomorrow and have a sneaky listen to the podcast on your desktop at work. Uh, It'll work on your phone as well. You don't need to download the app if you don't want to. Just go to wooshka.com and listen to a sporting discussion. Uh, We'll be posting the links on our social medias. Make sure you leave a review. We love reviews. Five-star minimum. Please. Please. Uh, Andrew, you are going to be joining us again Monday morning, 3 Triple R FM, 7.15am. What you got for us this week? 
I have absolutely no idea, but I will come up with something <laughs> over the course of the weekend. <laughs> something tells me there might be something in a final. Are you going to the Hawks game on Friday? I will be going to the Hawthorne versus Western Bulldogs game. Oh, should be a good one. It will be. AJ, rugbyleaguehub.com, three things to look forward to this week. Yeah, uh, changing it up a bit this week. You're going to two things to look forward to and then one little editorial bit. Oh, yeah. I like yeah, editorials. Stay tuned, rugbyleaguehub.com. And uh, I, will, I will also just... Quickly point out that I will be doing a one-hour special on Triple R on Thursday next week from seven till eight pm on the prime time. Yeah, prime time, Jonathan on the Max Headroom. Well done, show. well earned. Uh, that will be an AFL themed show. I, I've put the call out to Nick Maxwell and Shane Crawford. Oh, I don't dear. think either of those are going to respond to me, but well, not anymore. You know, start at the top <laughs> and, and work your way down. So tune in next Thursday at 7pm. What's that? 102.7 FM in Melbourne, 3 Triple R, or go to your streaming arrangements. Damn right. That is it for episode 29. Thanks for listening. We will be back next week.